Hi, you're listening to You're Like Really Pretty, a podcast for the girlies and the gays that love pop culture, reality TV, and the occasional juicy political scandal. I'm your host, Kayla. Oh my god, hi guys, how are you doing? I'm doing amazing per the usual. Great season is upon us today. March 21st is the beginning, which is my season. My birthday is... On Thursday, I'm turning 30 and I'm so excited for my birthday this year. It's going to be amazing. We already kind of started a little bit of the celebration. So my husband will be working on my birthday because the Navy wants to keep us apart, essentially. Um, And he tried everything he could to get the day off, but he just can't. So you know, I, I, I'm going to complain about it, but again, I'm sure I've said this, I have free healthcare. So do I really have a lot to complain about? Law school is going to be paid for. I like, I need to not complain, but it is my 30th birthday and my husband probably won't get home till like 10 o'clock that night, but it's okay. It's fine. Instead, um, uh, he got to go to work late today. Uh, and so we got to spend all last night, with each other. He helped me out with some of my um, side gig stuff. And then the night before he sacrificed sleep on Sunday night, he, I really want to go to this bar and we're going to go to this bar for my birthday this weekend, me and my friends. It's called Unicorn. It's in Seattle. I don't know how I found it a few years ago, Um, It's been around for a little while, but I found it somehow online a few years ago. It's a, it's on Capitol Hill. It's not really like a gay bar, but it is a gay bar. Um, It's very queer coded and it just is like everything I want in a bar. First off, there is pink and animal print everywhere. Turquoise. It's like It's just like this maximalist, tacky, beautiful concoction of a place. And so I and they have like fun drinks like they have one called witchy titty, one called like um, like unicorn balls or something. Oh, wait, no, that was the dessert. They have a dessert called unicorn balls. So it's just like a fun carnival themed bar. And that's the upstairs part. And then downstairs is Narwhal, which um, my husband said that means like under the sea or something like that. I don't know. He knew what it meant. I was like, you know everything. Downstairs, there's like an arcade. So there's like um, pinball machines and I think some like Pac-Man games and stuff on one half of it. And like a cute photo booth, me and my husband took photo booth pictures and we looked adorable. Um, And then there's like a stage downstairs and the show that they were doing is called Weird. And it was the last show of its run. So it'd been going on for like six or seven years. And the queen who was hosting it was London Bradshaw. And she was incredible. She opened the show playing a three days grace song Marilyn Manson beautiful people which I was like but I understand it's beautiful people but Marilyn Manson is not a friend in this house allegedly he's an abuser but I'm gonna say allegedly because he is too happy so 
we'll leave it at that. Um, and then she closed it with a system of a down. And I was like, what is this? If you just heard my dog cough in the background, I apologize. I told them to leave me alone. They said no. So he's doing what he wants to do anyway. So it was truly the weirdest drag show ever, but like fun, weird, like you're like, oh, this is so incredible. So the second artist um, was, or second, well, yeah, artist. But the second number was done by a queen named Issa Man. <laughs> I love that name. It's so fun. Gorgeous, beautiful model. Like I was like, oh my god. I was entranced. The makeup was scrumdillionches. The body was serving body yada yada yada. And I was just like, oh my god what have I got myself into? This is heaven. And then the third number was the weirdest thing that I've ever seen in my life, but it was incredible. Um, it was this queen named uh, Miss Texas 1988. And she did, she came out in like a cheerleading outfit and it <laughs> it was weird. Oh, my God. It was so weird. And so she's doing Holla Back Girl by Gwen Stefani. And you know how, the part where Gwen goes like, this shit is bananas. She like goes into the back of her cheerleading skirt and pulls out what's supposed to look like shit. It's probably like pudding or something. And she starts like doing this whole number every time. Gwen says this shit is bananas. She's like pulling what's supposed to be shit. It sounds so crazy and weird because it was. And it was so funny. I was me and my I was laughing so hard that I like was gasping for air. I was having to cover my mouth, try to like contain my laughter because I knew I would be disruptive with my laughing if I let myself laugh full force and like disruptive in the kind where you're like not like, oh, she's having so much fun. More like that's very obnoxious and you need to stop because it's distracting. And I, I could feel myself getting there. It was so funny. And then um, the third queen did a incredible Lady Gaga. She had like a money gun. And I was like, what is this? I'm so happy about this. The fourth queen, she is a trans queen and she did like um, What's Going On by Four Non Blondes, but it had it had like a goat scream in the middle of it that was so startling and so funny. And she she was serving buddy too. She knew how to pad that body. She had that hourglass shape. She had a gorgeous dress on that was like sequins, but it was um, the trans pride flag. It was beautiful. And it was like a whole number about something that's like very topical right now. Uh, and something that's always topical, but especially right now. And it's the attack on the drag community um, that is happening in this country. And it's sickening not the good kind of sickening. It's disgusting to see what lawmakers are trying to do and what people are trying to do to the queer community and specifically to drag queens and trans people. It's all under the guise of protecting the children. And it's really not about that. It's about trying to rid the world of queer people. And that's what it's always about. Whenever the GOP and the 
crazy QAnon, the whole far right community, they pick a new boogeyman. Um, and you know, that that's the boogeyman for the year. And it's drag queens and trans people who are the boogeyman this year. And it's honestly insane that this fight has already been won and we're still fighting it. They're trying to drive queer people back into the shadows and you know, they, they say it's like, Oh, I, we're, we're banning drag shows from public spaces where children could be at. And it's because they don't like that drag Queens were doing, you know, like drag time story or drag story time hours that like public libraries. And it's like, they're like, Oh, obscene. Do you really think a person's going to go read a story to a six-year-old and have like sexual themes in it? No, they're reading a story about the little mermaid. Like it, it's insane. It's like, if you don't want your kids to be around drag queens, don't take them to places where there's drag queens. Reading children's stories at the public library is not going to have sexual themes to it. And it's very interesting that... So the, the first ban, the outright ban, was in Tennessee. And they pushed this legislation through so that it would go into effect before June. And if you don't know what June is, that's Pride Month. There's a lot of celebrations that, you know, like parades with, um, it, it, it's in support of the queer community. There's queer people, there's allies, there's, um, you know, I watched this really great show on HBO called We Are Here, and it's um, with Eureka, Bob the Drag Queen, and Shangela and they go to different parts of the country and put on like a drag show and then they there's like three people in that town who they put in drag and sometimes it's somebody who is maybe a former drag queen um and they haven't been in drag for 10 years or somebody who uh is wanting to be a drag queen but they're too scared and a lot of times it's very conservative places that they go so this one episode I watched, um, I think it was the first episode, like the series premiere, and it was in Pennsylvania. And this woman was trying to show her daughter how sorry she was. And her daughter had come out as uh, gay. And she was like, you're going to go to hell and um, said some really awful stuff. And her daughter obviously didn't take it well because her mom was rejecting her and you know wanted to was trying to tell her like you're straight all this stuff just awful awful stuff that you should never do to your child and so she I guess read her diary which oof, invasion of privacy and she said some stuff that were like um you know, a lot of self-loathing because of what her mom had said. And it, it snapped her mom awake that she could make her child feel like this. And so she did like a complete 180 and 
was like, I need to right this wrong. The damage has been done between her and her daughter. Her daughter lives with her dad. Her daughter doesn't speak to her. Um, but she's trying very hard, at least at that point in the show, to right that wrong. And there's like this in this town, which I mean, there's like Confederate flags everywhere in this town in Pennsylvania. Um, they have a pride in June and it's they there's like this and I'm sure it's, it happens at other uh, pride events but these moms come together and they um, they they have like this service. It really is like a service and it's called mom hugs and it's going to make me cry. And um, it's these moms who stand on the side of the parade and all the kids who have been rejected and disowned by their moms they say you can come give me a hug because a mom's hug is one of the best things in the world and um it's just really beautiful and that's what pride's about pride's about celebrating all those people who came before us who fought for these rights um and the people who are still fighting for the rights just to exist just to just to be alive and not be attacked. And it's like, I just can't believe in 2023, I'm living somewhere which is supposed to be about freedom and equality. And we all know it's not. You know, if you're a woman, you know it's not. If you're a POC, you know it's not. If you're an immigrant, if you're anything that's other than a heterosexual, cisgendered white male, you know that this country isn't really about freedom. And even though I know that, it's still so astonishing to me that there's these bans on drag. Like, in drag shows are just one of the most beautiful experiences you'll ever have. Because one, it is such a... Like, when you're in you're at a drag show, that room is filled with, so. it's like when you're at a concert. And I don't know if you've ever, this is, I read about somebody doing this once years ago, and I do it every time I'm at a concert. They said that they stop, like during the band or the singer's biggest song, they stop looking at the stage and they look around them at everybody's face. And everybody is singing along to the song and they're happy and they're joyful and there's so much life and positivity in that room radiating. And that's what a drag show is about, is like just ultimate acceptance and art. And it's making you laugh, making you think. And like this show that we went to, it was weird, but it it made me laugh. That number about, you know, trans rights and the attack on the drag community that was so beautiful and so weird, but it was art that should be seen. And it just breaks my heart that this, that this is happening. And I live somewhere where, you know, I live in a liberal bubble. Like, absolutely. I, I live in a state that really cares about protecting women's rights, protecting um, queer rights, trans rights, 
you know, they, they care a lot about protecting the orcas. Like I live in a state where all the stuff that really matters to me matters, you know, to the lawmakers in this state. And we get a lot of things wrong, but we get a lot of things right in this state. And so while it's very different than say, if I lived in somewhere like Tennessee, but that we saw after 2016 with Trump, how those people are just waiting to pounce. And so even though I live somewhere where I think it's safe and I think I'm okay, and I think that my community is okay, uh, that can change in a moment. Things can change very quickly. Um, and so I, I just think that it's so important to use any kind of platform you have to speak about these issues. And, you know, maybe somebody listening to this um, doesn't know what's going on because they have their own life and they're they, they don't know. And it's okay if you don't know. I've learned that, that if you don't, you don't know what you don't know. But now you know. And if you have the capability of doing something, whether that's donating or even just resharing a post. I know a lot of people try to look down on online activism and stuff, but that's something. And it's better than nothing. And, you know, go to a drag show. Support your local drag artists. Tip them well tip them good. And just queer art is so important. Um, and it's sacred and it should be protected. And I'm done crying for the day. I don't want to cry again. So that's what I have to say on that. All right, let's get into some hot topics because, um, there is plenty. Speaking of Trump, apparently he's going to be arrested. Allegedly, that's what's going to happen. Uh, I truly, um, he was, he put out a thing on his social media, could not tell you what his social media platform is. I'm sure it's called like Trump USA or MAGA or something like that. But he put out something over the weekend saying he was going to be arrested on Tuesday, which is today. Have not seen anything, um, indicating that, but, oh, Lord, um, it has to do with the hush money he paid to Stormy Daniels before he ran in 2016. Um, and, you know, lock him up, lock him up. It won't happen. <laughs> you know how they always said that with uh, Hillary Clinton at his rallies back in the day? They'd go, lock her up, lock her up. No, lock him up, okay? That guy is a traitor. He's a shady businessman, too, and... Good God, I can't believe he's still roaming the earth. I mean, honestly, yeah, I um, I can believe that he's still roaming around because why would he be locked up? <laughs> that would, uh, you know, we're not going to get into it. We're not going to get into it too much. But the reason I bring up the Trump situation is one, because it's my podcast and I want to. And I loathe that man entirely. Um and I'm pretty sure the reason my dad became such an asshole to me was because I was one of those people that nonstop talked about him and how awful he was. And guess what? I was right. He tried to overthrow our government. So not saying my dad's a Trump supporter, but he may have been. I don't know. I don't know anything with that man. But I do know that um, he was very annoyed with how much I disliked Trump. So 
I will use any opportunity I can to shit talk him. And I get this opportunity today because Chris Rock is in the news talking about Trump and his impending arrests. So uh, he, I guess he was at some thing and it was like a DC type thing. And um, he was doing jokes and the joke he said about Trump which uh, I know, I know, why can't we make jokes anymore? That whole thing. But, God, I just, I don't know. Chris Rock is just such a disappointment. So he joked that, um, he said, fucked a porn star and paid off someone so his wife couldn't find out. That's romantic. We've all been cheated on. Don't you wish that that person that cheated on you paid off somebody so you wouldn't find out. I just don't think that's funny. And um, it's just, it's tough. It's tough with Chris Rock because like, if that was like his joke, like whatever. But the thing with Chris Rock is he just frustrates me so much and I could drone on and on about it, but I do think that it's so interesting that he has pivoted to like the right wing grift and he's like appealing to that crowd. And one could say he probably always was trying to appeal to that crowd, to that demographic, but he's just being so blatant about it now. And I... I know I should just be like, oh, it's just a joke, but it's just like you couple that with like the nuance of the story. So obviously, you know, we condemn what uh, Will Smith did. Don't touch people. Don't hit them, obviously. But the thing with Chris Rock is he has been mouthing off about Jada Pinkett Smith for years and it kind of was like, well, what'd you think was going to happen? Um, but that in no means means like you should ever hit somebody. I feel like Will, had he just yelled at him, <laughs> had he just yelled at him, probably could have got his point across and not been so hated. But no, he had to escalate it to a place of slapping. And it's just truly ridiculous. Um that he did that. But Chris, you had the opportunity and he definitely has capitalized on it. Like that, sh- that stand up he did for Netflix. I'm sure he made a pretty penny with that. Uh, and, you know, I'm probably the sucker to be like, Chris, like, look at all the opportunity you have. But like, Chris, look at all the opportunity you had. Yet you're sucking up to the right wingers. It's just like, you know, I should have known. I Whenever there's any discourse about Chris Rock, there's this clip that shows up. And it's a clip with uh, Chris Rock, Ricky Gervais, Louis C.K., and Jerry Seinfeld. And I don't know what joke they're talking about, but Louis C.K., that slime ball, says the N-word and... 
Chris Rock coincides it. He's just completely okay with him saying it. And Mr. Jerry Seinfeld said, oh, I saw the N-word take down one man's career. Um, I'm not about to condone any of this. And he's like, um, I don't think he can say that. He shouldn't say that. Don't say that. And Chris Rock is just like, nah, it's fine. Like, you don't know him like I do. And then Louis C.K. says the N-word again. And it's just like, that's who Chris Rock is. And so... And then he made that whole movie about black women and their hair. And that's the thing that I take issue with because like on the surface, it seems like that movie um, like would be a celebration. But when you watch it back, like it's he's mocking a lot of the time and he mocks black women and he punches down to black women a lot. And that is just not something I'm cool with. And that's not something you should be cool with. And you especially should not be cool with as a um, human, but as a black person, be cool with a black person co-signing somebody saying the N-word. Like, just don't. So I continue to be disappointed by him, but... What do I know? Okay, he's the one that's making millions of dollars from Netflix. And here I am talking into this microphone about him. So I guess who's winning? Not me. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to have like a little, um, you know, a little self-awareness. <laughs> I just can't stand him. I'm like, I, I don't know. You can be funny without punching down. And you can be funny without trying to appeal to the mega people in the world. But... Okay, pivoting completely, Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, let's talk about somebody who knows how to keep her name out there. And does Gwyneth Paltrow know how to keep her name out there? So she was on some podcast um, hosted by Dear Media. And the host asked her, what do you eat in a day? Which, why her team... Because you know her team, like, listened to it and, like, okayed. Why no one in her team was like, take it down, take it down. Um, I suspect because it, they knew it would get clicks. They knew it would get us talking. Here I am on your, like, really pretty talking about it. So uh, huge trigger warning. Um, this is disordered eating. And scary disordered eating. So if that is something that is sensitive to you, skip on past this. Uh, she says what she eats in a day. So she does intermittent fasting. <laughs> that word's hard for me to say. And my husband's not around to help me sound it out. She does that. She doesn't eat till noon. Whatever. Nothing super wrong with that. A lot of people do that and it's fine. Um, but she she uses language where you're like, ooh, this is disordered eating. She says, I don't have anything that will spike my blood sugar. Okay, nothing's going to kill you if you have a yogurt and some granola. You're going to be fine. But she just has coffee. And then she goes, and I like to have soup for lunch a lot of the days. Soup. I love a minestrone. I love a tomato bisque. My mom makes Indian soup, which is my favorite meal in the entire world, sprinkled with some Johnny's on top. Delicious. I beg for it multiple times a year. My birthday's coming up. I'm sure she's going to make me another pot. Anyway, it's not soup. She has bone broth. 
just bone broth. And then for dinner, she says, I like to eat, I like to keep it paleo. And she just eats vegetables. So she's probably having 500 calories a day. You should eat like 500 calories a meal. Um, 500 calories a day is like not healthy in the slightest. My husband, he's in the military and I'm married to a big boy. And sometimes he has to drop weight like he's a wrestler. And he has done a bone broth diet where and it is the most unhealthy thing. I'm like, this is shaving years off of your life. Like it's he looks so gross by the end of it and just so unwell because he hasn't gotten any like actual nutrients in a week. Um, And I can't believe she just lives like that. And it's like a lot of people who are defending her, you know, the goop girlies, they're like her dad died of cancer. Okay. And she probably has so much trauma from that, but she smokes like a pack a day. So which one is it? Um, because I don't think that she's, because she uses words like, I, I like to uh, keep my detox. My detox is very important. What are you detoxing from? The cigarettes? Because I am confusion. It does not make any sense. So she also says she does one hour of movement a day, which that is great advice. Move your body for an hour a day. That is awesome. Um, but she says after she does her hour of movement, then she goes and does 30 minutes in the sauna. I'm just, I'm like lightheaded thinking about her days. Like it's, <sighs> I just hope, I hope, and you know, you, you're on the internet, so you're kind of in a bubble and the discourse I see online is people mostly being like, oh my God, this is so unhealthy and this scares me so much. And that like, that's not healthy. It's drastically different than 15 years ago when I was a teenager. And, you know, if Gwyneth said something like that, then I would have been like, okay, guess I got to drink coffee, eat bone broth and only vegetables for dinner. Like it, it, there has been a shift, but that's on the internet. Like that's just such a small portion of the world. And so it just, you have like a responsibility and it's like, okay, you're struggling with food and that is a sickness. And I have deep, deep empathy for you because food eating is just, it's all a very hard thing, especially being a woman. Um, but girl, you have like you, there are girls, there are teenagers who are going to see that and think that that's the way that they should be. And that it's okay. And it was just, I was like, oh my God, Gwyneth, girl, like nobody around her, nobody in her life is like, could you just shut the fuck up for a second? Like, have you ever thought about shutting the fuck up? Has that ever occurred to you? Because clearly it hasn't. She's also getting sued for a 2016 um, ski accident. I guess she is being accused of being reckless while skiing. And so... The trial for that started, (laughs) I'm telling you, she knows how to, um, she knows how to keep her name in the news. The trial for that started, started today. And, uh, he, the, the person suing her says that 
Gwyneth violently crashed into him in 2016 while skiing at a ski resort. And he says that the impact resulted in a brain injury, concussion, and multiple broken bones. This was in Utah. He's suing Gwyneth for $300,000. And she's defending herself. And uh, it's, you know what? It just occurred to me. Oh, it just occurred to me. So you know how I said that they, um, you know, they were doing this so we get clicks. The whole little food situation, her team. They knew that Gwyneth was going to be going on trial today, Tuesday, March 21st. Ding, ding, ding. That is why they're talking about the food stuff, so that we focus on her disordered eating rather than her violently crashing into this man who's suing her, allegedly. I don't know. I I think I have to say allegedly. (laughs) Huh. Okay, Gwyneth. Okay, I see what you did there. I'm talking about both. Okay, you're in the news. I'm talking about both of them. You're a fascinating white woman. I don't know how um, people are still very much buying everything that you're selling. uh, And they won't stop. Uh, The wellness whole (laughs) industrial complex is alive and thriving, my friends. So Black China, which I'm very happy for her um, because it seems like maybe, well, I don't know. Okay, remains to be seen. But right now I'm happy for her with the asterisk. So she has removed her implants, her breast implants. She said she removed her silicone um, butt implants and she's like don't do it uh, it's not safe and like you can die from it um, or I guess silicone shots that she had in her butt uh, and then she dissolved the filler in her face and so she's saying like but she did say like you know there's nothing wrong if you want filler like the girls that want to do it, the boys that want to do it, do it. It's just for me, I'm, I'm over the whole thing. And she said, enough is enough. It all has to come out. It's as simple as that. It's not what I look like. It totally changed my face. I'm just ready to be back to Angela. And she said like the whole process was very easy. Um, and she does look better. She does. Uh, it, she said that she was looking like Jigsaw, which I kind of, um, the cheeks were getting a little crazy, but I, I think she still looks great. And if she's happier, then that's all that really matters. And I do think that the whole Instagram baddie look, I think that is on its way out. Um, cause there's a lot of people who are like, Dissolving their lip filler, dissolving their face filler, uh, removing their implants and stuff. And I just think beauty trends have shifted and the, that whole trend, it's, it's on its way out. Um, but I just thought it was, you know, I had just talked about her a few weeks ago in the episode I did and now she's 
on this journey and um I'm just rooting for her I'm always rooting for her her mama is still crazy as hell on Instagram she let me into her uh her like private Instagram and she's been doing some wild stuff on that page and then I see some stuff on TikTok and I'm like this lady is crazy like I saw one video where she was screaming and I guess she does it all the time, but she was like cursing out these homeless people while feeding them. And it was like, okay, I'm glad she's feeding them. Like that's, that's amazing. That's awesome. She's like cursing these people out. I'm like, you are, but you got to wonder like, you know, China and her body dysmorphia, which it sounds like that's what she's kind of getting at is that like she had all these procedures done because she was dysmorphic about her body. And then you see the dynamic between her and Tokyo. And you wonder if um, that self-loathing, if if it was self-loathing, how much was that? Uh, how much of that started in her childhood? Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. And I just want to put a huge pouring of love out to Amanda Bynes. Um, I don't really feel like repeating what's going on with her because I think that it's contributing to the problem, uh, you know, giving all the gritty details, the TMZ post of it all, but she is experiencing mental health issues and she is somebody who was deeply traumatized by the industry and there's a lot of rumors about what happened to her as a child star and stuff. And, uh, I'm just always hoping she will be happy and at peace. Um, and whatever that looks like, whether that's ever working again, or if that's just having a job where she can have routine and be happy in that, um, that's, that's what I want from her. Cause it's just so sad. She's so talented and so charismatic and so sunshiny and it's just very sad to see how she continues to struggle um because you just want people to be happy and Amanda and everybody deserves happiness so I'm just sending a bunch of love to Amanda Bynes and she meant so much to this millennial's heart um she's the man is one of the funniest comedic performances you'll ever see and she did incredible in that. And she's just an, an incredible person. And she's so funny. And yeah, so Amanda, sending you love. Um, Anne Hathaway, it was just announced that she will pay a pop star who has a relationship with her iconic fashion designer, um, played by Michaela Cole. And I just watched the first few episodes of I May Destroy You on HBO that Michaela starred, wrote, and I'm pretty sure directed. She's incredibly talented. She's this black British actress who, and writer and director, um, who is just incredible. And the story is so well written and it's, it's a tough watch. So, um, just to tell you a little bit about it, it's, she's, uh, sexually assaulted. She's raped 
and um, the fallout from that, you know, the emotional fallout, the uh, interpersonal fallout, the what it does to somebody, what it does to their mental health, what it does to them physically. And it's just so good and such a real and raw look at what happens when you're sexually assaulted. It's just incredible, but it is a very hard watch. Um, but there's, there's kind of, there's a lot of humor in it too, you know, that they deal with really heavy subjects and then they sprinkle humor in it to give it some levity and it's just incredible. So, uh, yeah, Michaela's going to play the fashion designer. Anne Hathaway will play the pop star, which I love Anne Hathaway, and I never hated her. Um, I was not on board 10 years ago when everybody couldn't stand her. I loved her. Uh, and then um, Jack Antoff and Charlie XCX will write and produce the original songs for the film. And if you don't know who those people are, um, Charlie XCX, you should know who that is. You know that song, Vroom Vroom, Let's Ride, that song. And then she also is uh, on Iggy Azalea's song. Um, God, what's the name of her song? I can't even, you know what song I'm talking about, the music video where they're dressed up like Clueless. The girl who's featured on that, that's Charlie XCX. She's incredible. She's so freaking talented. Um, and Jack Antonoff is, he was the lead singer of that band Fun. He dated Lena Dunham and he's Taylor Swift's like collaborator. Like he produced her 1989 and pretty much every record after that produced Lord's record, um, Lana Del Rey's records like he has a very distinctive sound and he makes bops uh so this movie is being um it's it's an A24 movie and if you don't know what A24 is just google A24 and then watch everything because it's like the coolest fucking art house there is they make so much incredible movies I've never seen an A24 movie and been disappointed so I know this is going to be fucking iconic uh A24 um I think I talked about it last week uh everything everywhere all at once that movie that's an A24 film so that's all you gotta know all you gotta know they're incredible uh and that's it for this week's hot topics was that cute did you guys like that <laughs> I am a joke and a half sometimes. So you already know because you clicked on it. You know who I'm talking about this week. We're continuing the 90s supermodel series. And I was so excited to learn about this model because again, I knew nothing about her. I, I knew her face because good Lord, that face is beautiful and striking. And there's no way you can't know that face. The one, the only Helena Christensen, she is so stunning to look at. I mean, of course she was a supermodel, but as I was researching her and just clicking through her photos, her, she is just so, her face is just so beautiful. It is just so incredible. And like those eyes 
with the dark hair and she has like this golden skin that just gets the perfect tan and I'm I was just mesmerized I was like this woman is absolutely stunning of course she is still absolutely stunning um and I'm so excited to tell you about her and you know maybe you do know a lot about her or maybe you're like me and you didn't know anything so let's buckle up Helena was born on December 25th 1968 which makes her another Capricorn just like our girl Christy and Miss Helena is very much giving Capricorn queen realness. She is a boss ass bitch. And I say that with utmost respect. Girlfriend is, yeah, you'll learn, you'll learn. She's a hard worker. And um, she was born and raised in Denmark. She was born in Copenhagen. Her father is Danish and her mother is Peruvian, which Obviously, that is why she is so striking because people from Scandinavia have a very distinct and um, dominant like facial features. So do Peruvians. You mix that together and of course you're going to have an absolute beauty and Helena is an absolute beauty. And I just want to point out that I would give my pinky toes, both of them, to live in Denmark uh, because I am incredibly jealous of their social welfare system. Um, I, it's incredible. They're the way they take care of their citizens is just chef's kiss. And this is particularly important to me because my mom is disabled and she started working when she was 14. She dropped out of high school and she enrolled in a program where she got her GED in the morning and worked in the evening uh, and she was so incredibly proud of her work ethic. Growing up, I, she's always said, I've been working since I was 14. And then she got sick and couldn't work anymore. And her social security provides so little for her. And it's just absolutely crazy that somebody could work from 14 until their 50s. And they can't live a comfortable life. Um, and in Denmark, their welfare system is cradle to grave and they pay high taxes because they take care of their citizens. And when your citizens are happy, there's a reason Denmark is the happiest country in the world. Like that always comes out every year. Denmark is either number one or number two because they take care of their people, their citizens. Like they, kids get free pre-K and preschool. They get uh, if they decide to go to college, they get free tuition. Um, obviously, they get free health care. And it's like in the United States, their reasoning for not having a robust welfare system is because that, you know, people become too dependent on it. Well, then why is Denmark's unemployment rate 4.8%? when they have all these social benefits. It doesn't seem like their citizens are becoming too dependent on it. It actually seems like they're probably more productive because they know that they'll be taken care of and that the money that they pay into, they will reap the benefits of it because the elderly, the sick, the disabled, they're taken care of. The unemployed, they're taken care of. Like, ugh, I just... I can't believe I live in a country where 
somebody like my mom is not taken care of. And it just breaks my heart. And so Helena is from that amazing country. Um, and maybe one day I'll make enough money that I can move my mom and my husband and all our pups uh, to Denmark and we can live happily ever after. Um, and I will gladly play high taxes if it means my mom can just have a good standard of living. Um, anyway, that's not what this podcast is about. I'm in a ranty mood, aren't I? So Miss Helena, Denmark, winning Miss Denmark in 1986. Uh, and she actually, with the beauty pageants, she kind of stumbled into them. So she thought that the beauty pageant, the first one that she entered was like a fashion show for charity. And she didn't realize that it was not that it was the beauty pageant. And then she won it. And then she's like, oh, okay. And so then she competed in the, um, you know, like moved up in the system and she ended up winning Miss Denmark. And then in, uh, she was 17. And then in 1987, she uh, competed in Miss Universe. And then the next year after she left Denmark for Perry to pursue modeling. Um, and you won't believe who she met her first week modeling in Paris. Carl Lagerfeld. I, his pause is going to, it's going to be all over this series because he is just that much of an influence. And so he took Helena under his wing, became an advisor for her, put her in a Chanel campaign and she has had a long-standing working relationship with Chanel, a very collaborative relationship with Chanel as well. And three years later, she got her first cover of Vogue. Oh my God, is it a beautiful cover. She, it's for the March 1990 British Vogue. And she's in like the California desert posing in this long white like slip dress with a beautiful white stallion. It is like the kind of picture that you're like, if you look at it, you're like, no, there's that's too beautiful for this world. Like, I think now if that kind of picture came out, somebody would be like, oh, it's AI art because it's just like unreal how beautiful it is. Um, and it, it's just, it's a gorgeous cover. The horse is beautiful. She's beautiful. And yeah, it's, um, it's really good. And so just like Christy, uh, Miss Helena, that used to be, I guess that was like a little bit of a pipeline in the nineties being, being a, um, music video and, uh, you know, yeah, propel up. So she was in Chris Isaac's, uh, music video, Wicked Game, which was named the number four sexiest music video of all time. Uh, and Herb Ritz directed the movie and was the one that gave her the job. Um, and she says that Herb is, uh, one of her greatest mentors and he's a really, iconic photographer slash director um and her being in the wicked game video shot her up into the stratosphere of fame um and she she cemented herself as the one of the great 90s supermodels 
And this was like probably the juiciest thing I learned um, was that she became the first face of Prada in 1991. Can you imagine saying like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I was the first face of Prada in 1991. Just incredible. And then in 92, she became the face of Revlon. And also in 92, just like Karl Lagerfeld, Gianni Versace has his paws all over these girls. She wore a very iconic Versace dress, which is there anything that is uh, runway Versace that isn't iconic at this point? But this one is very um, iconic. It's a uh, black bondage dress. And Kim Kardashian actually wore a recreation of it that Donatella designed um, to the after party for the Met Gala in 2018. And so she wore iconic dress. Christy wore iconic dress. I'm sure every single one of these girls I talk about, there's going to be an iconic Versace dress in it. I'm, I'm ready to learn that for all of them because like I saw that dress and I was like, I know that dress. I know that dress. Um, and Gianni Versace described Helena as having the perfect body. And uh, I feel like if Gianni Versace says you have the perfect body, um, you may have the perfect body. So she began dating a musician in the 90s, um, Michael Hutchins. And he was the lead singer of an Australian band called Inks, I think. It's I-N-X-S. Inks? I-N-X-S? I don't know. Uh, But... I guess he was a a pretty big singer in Australia. I don't know. I've never heard of the band. Um, And they had kind of a, uh, an intense relationship, but she described their relationship as joyful, sweet, deep, and emotional. And uh, I, I liked what she said that she said, total mental and physical chemistry. I thought that was just kind of, um, I've never heard somebody describe their love like that. Joyful, sweet, deep, and emotional, total mental and physical chemistry. I'm sure somebody has, but um, that's how she describes it. And I just kind of thought it was beautiful. Uh, And she really has great love for him still. Um, So in 92, you know, at the height of her being this it girl, she's here to stay. They were in Paris and he refused to move for a taxi and the taxi driver got out of his taxi and beat the shit out of him, Um, which what? Uh, And he fell backwards, hit his head and his skull fractured. Um, And so she said like he was knocked out, obviously, and like blood was coming out of his mouth and his nose and she thought he was dead. Uh, And they got him to the hospital when he woke up, he was like completely different. He became super aggressive. He resisted treatment and he left the hospital. Um, and then he didn't come back for uh, quite a few days and he waited too long to get help. And so when he did come back, um, he had a very gnarly brain injury and he subsequently lost basically all his sense of smell and taste and he said this really heartbreaking thing to her. 
Um, he said, when I have children, I'll never be able to smell my baby. And I was like, oh my God, because baby smell, is there anything better in this world than baby smell? It just that I was like, oh my God, that is oof. That's a lot. Uh, and after his brain injury, like he just became a different person. And unfortunately that happens a lot with people in brain injuries. Like they just, their personality is just completely changed. And, um, it, it became too turbulent for her and he was deeply depressed and it, it, it was a lot. And she's like, you know, I was young and I don't think I was ready for everything that came, all the responsibility of helping somebody through that. And she said she never stopped loving or caring for him. Um, and then he did later die by suicide in 1997. And it had like a deeply profound effect on her. And I typically don't want to like when I talk about these women, just focus on, you know, their dating or relationships, which are a big part of it. But I more want to focus on their career um, and what they were doing for themselves. But I think that this relationship and what she went through with him, I think that informs so much of her decisions that she made after um, because it was incredibly traumatic, like the trauma she endured, the trauma they endured together because of his injury. And she ended up kind of becoming disenchanted with the whole supermodel thing. Uh, she said that she didn't really care for the term supermodel. She was quoted as saying, you don't want to be considered superhuman for being a model. And that shift in how she viewed herself uh, really began in the late 90s. Um, I think it was there all along, but it it definitely post that relationship uh, kind of shifted up in gear. And she said that on shoots, she wasn't okay with having um, no input in the creativity. And like that, that deeply bothered her to just sit there and be a model and there's nothing inherently wrong where, you know, I can compare it to like Christy who showed up and she was known as being easy to work with. And that worked for her and that got her a sustainable career and that got her to the level she got. And there's nothing wrong with being somebody who's like that. Helena is just not somebody who's like that. And she's, she's just different and, um, different's okay. There's, there's nothing wrong. There's no either or like, I, I just feel like people, people who are maybe, um, more like worker bees, I think they get a bad rep, but you need worker bees. Um, and obviously Christy isn't like a meek little worker bee. Like she is incredible and Helena is incredible in a different way. And Helena just, she said that she would get in trouble for getting her giving her input on set and they just basically wanted her to shut up and be pretty and she ended up saying no to a lot of jobs because she knew she would be too annoyed with how the things were run um they would get too annoyed with her giving her input her opinion 
and uh, they would get irritated with her creative choices. Um, and what I so admire about Helena is she's like incredibly self-aware and she, looking back on it, this, there was like an article from, um, she did like an interview in like 2010, 2011, somewhere around there. And she's like, looking back on it, uh, I should, I should have just shut up and laughed all the way to the bank. But at the time she said, I just couldn't deal with it. It coincided with the glamour thing, push-up bras, fake eyelashes, tons of makeup and big hair. The press accused us of, of being like that, but we weren't. I was just done up to look like that. I enjoyed it precisely because it wasn't me. I was plain. At heart, I was always a hippie girl. And so she is aware that like she probably would have had an easier time if she would have taken the Christie route of just shutting up. But that's just not how she's made. And that's okay. That's that's fine. Um, and it obviously worked out for the both of them. So, again, I don't want to focus so much on the relationships with them. But I, with her story, I think that her relationships played a huge part in her career in the 90s, especially. Um, so she ended up meeting Norman Reedus at this time in uh, the late 90s. And I knew precisely one thing about Norman Reedus, and that is that he was in The Walking Dead, which I did not watch and I have no plans of watching. And I don't care if it's the greatest show ever. I'm sure it means a lot to you and I respect that. But me personally, I don't like blood and I don't like gore and I don't like that stuff. It's just not entertaining to me. But um, that's all I knew about him. I know his name's Daryl in the show because everybody and their mother, I that show, like people would give spoilers. I remember one time I like posted, I was like, good thing I don't watch Walking Dead because I know everything that's happened. Like I know one death where people, and in case you haven't watched it, I'm not going to say it, but there's this one death that people could not shut up about. Just like the red wedding in uh, Game of Thrones. I knew about that before I watched Game of Thrones because people couldn't shut up about it. Anyway, Norman Reedus. Apparently, he was a model, question mark. Um, him and Christy, or Christy, oh my gosh, Helena, met uh, modeling for Prada. He was um, he was like a, a huge model for Prada. And he is a super duper, uber, uber, very, very exceptionally creative person and Helena is too and I this is me completely speculating but I do feel like his influence probably pushed her into these um pursuits and other avenues of creativity and she probably would have gotten there without his influence but maybe she wouldn't have gotten there as fast. Um, and he was very supportive of her creative pursuit. So he's a model, actor, painter, sculptor, photographer, all of it. Anything that is creative, he's probably done it. And Helena had a deep interest since she was young in photography 
and she she had that love of photography um from when she was young and she viewed like when this modeling thing started kicking off she viewed modeling as a stepping stone for her to become a photographer and so she used modeling as kind of like a education in photography and so she had documented her travels as a model around the world um, with photography specifically film photography and they're beautiful pictures um and the gentleman I talked about earlier herb he is a accomplished photographer and really just took her under his wing and gave her a master class. Um, and so did all these other photographers because she genuinely is such a creative person and wants to be involved in all angles. And so I think that Norman, his create those two people in that creative love cocoon. My husband hates the word cocoon, so. <laughs> Uh, every time I say it, I almost want to be like, sorry, because it is just like a word he can't take. He can't, it like freaks him out. He says it gives him the willies, which before I was with him, I had never heard somebody say gives me the willies. Is that a well-known saying? Or is that just like a white guy from South Texas saying? Because him saying it gives me the willies gives me the willies. I hate that word too. Anyway, they were in their love cocoon. And um, I I just feel like he probably was super supportive of her and was like, you know, sometimes you just need somebody to cheerlead you. And my husband is also one of those people who is just so supportive of me. And just knowing that he has my back, like my partner has my back, that if I fall, he'll be there for me. Um, if I succeed, he'll support me, whatever it is. So I definitely think Norman probably had an influence on her, but it was there to begin with. And uh, she ended up, so she has this interest in photography. And in 1999, when she was pregnant with their son, whose name is Mingus, which I don't know about that name. I've never heard that name. M-I-N-G-U-S, Mingus. Um, who's also now a model because of course he is. His parents were models. He's gorgeous. But when she was pregnant with Mingus, she uh, launched as a co-founder the Nylon Magazine, which I know that magazine. Uh, RIP, it's out of circulation, which makes me sad. Um, But she she launched that magazine as a co-founder. She was the first creative director for Nylon. And one thing I didn't know was that nylon comes from combining New York and London together. I had no idea about that. But nylon uh, was a pop culture and fashion um, magazine, which really bums me out that it's out of circulation because that is right up my avenue. It was a really great magazine. I remember, I wonder if the girlies and the gays still do this. Like, I remember growing up... um, making like for my binder cover like cutting out 
stuff from magazines and making like a collage. I wonder if the girls still do that. Or do they do everything just on like Canva now? And that's how they make their collages. I hope collages are live and well with the teenage community. But Nylon was a great magazine to make uh, collages out of. And so, um, yeah, she was part of that. So she she's getting her photography career going. She's like, yeah, I'm a model. I'm going to be the creative director for this fashion and pop culture magazine. Um, and then she ended up leaving Nylon uh, in the early 2000s. No bad blood or anything like that. Just moved on. And she opened up a vintage concept store called Butik. And it, I don't know what the concept part means with it but it was like a Danish inspired store and so um they had like a whole bunch of vintage Danish stuff and then they also had all Danish designers for like clothing and that except for one which was a Japanese designer and um the reviews on that I think it closed I I couldn't get confirmation but I found a lot of reviews from like 2008 and backwards on like Yelp and stuff and Foursquare, all of the reviews were like incredible. They were like, this is the most beautiful store. Um, everything's so thoughtful. It smells so good. Uh, like I saw one review where somebody's like, oh, I'm from um, Denmark and like getting to go to the store just felt like I was home and I sent my parents back stuff. It was just all very glowing reviews that um, really painted a picture of a beautiful space. And she really just put her heart and soul from what I read into that store. Uh, and then um, she kept fostering the photography and she ended up in the 2000s turning it into like a full-fledged second career. So her photography, she still like kind of models, but photography is like what her career is now. And she works on fashion shoots. She does a lot of um, shoots for like interior spaces for like magazines or real estate. Uh, she shoots a lot of art, but like her, the most interesting aspect of her photography career to me is that she's also a writer Um but she's a writer and photographer for the United Nations, which is very topical for me because the class I took uh, last quarter, Introduction to International Relations or International Organizations. Oh, my God. Can I talk? Um, we spent a significant amount of the quarter talking about the United Nations. So I was like, oh, my God, I know what this is. Uh, and she worked on the high commissioner um, for refugees uh, that that part of the United Nations. And so what that is, is um, basically that commission in the United Nations uh, works to help displace people. So whether that's through aid um, and, you know, aid that's like money or relocation assistance or food and, uh, you know, raising awareness on that. Um, and so what Helena does is she documents and writes about the displacement that refugees face, the hardships they face. So she's there showing the world what's happening. And a lot of 
a lot of important change comes out of documentation like that. Um, and she writes for the United Nations about her experiences, about what she sees. And then she also does photography for this London-based advocacy organization called Oxfam, which um, they work on eradicating poverty. And I just was like, oh my God, like, I just think that's so incredible. Like you had this incredible career as a 90s supermodel being described as the perfect body by Gianni Versace on the cover of multiple you know, countries of Vogue, um, being the face of Revlon, being the first face of Prada. And then you completely shift and you're like, you know what? Conquered that. Let me go be the creative director for this new magazine. Let me then go and be, um, you know, do this vintage Danish store, which have you ever even heard of a vintage Danish store? Maybe that's why it's called a concept store, because I've never heard of a vintage Danish store. Um, And then her first love, photography, she turns it into a full-blown career. And she says her favorite things to photograph are her son and her pup. And that was just, oh, it was so sweet. But she she tells this really cool story. Um that really doesn't have anything to do with the United Nations or um, Oxfam. But she says that one of the most thrilling, like, photography stories she has is that she was in the desert, um, hanging off the side of a Jeep with, like, sand and wind ripping all around her. And she's photographing the king of Dubai. I mean, come on. She's like, my adrenaline was rushing. It was the most intense experience. I just think that is like, she is just cool. Like she is just a cool person. And I just think it's so inspiring that, you know, modeling wasn't her great passion. Her great passion was photography. And she, instead of just being like, well, I guess I'm a model. She's like, no, I'm going to use this as a stepping stone to do what I really want. And she is doing what she really wants. And her passion, her photographs are beautiful. She captures people's soul. And she says that her goal with her photography is, um, if you look at it and you feel anything, then that's all she wants. And I think that's such a, a beautiful way to look at things, to look at your art. Um, because I think a lot of the time artists get wrapped up in like, I want it to have this profound life-changing experience where you're awash with this emotion that is just, and it's like, that's not it for everybody. And it's sometimes as simple as if you just feel something, then that's all I want. And I, I just thought that was so beautiful that she thought that way. Another thing I admire about Helena is just kind of her general no bullshit attitude like she is, she is not here to try to sell you something fake. And I thoroughly believe her in that. Um, I, I do believe that she is being authentic. Uh, and the reason that the whole reason I base that off of is because um, she did this great interview and I like it a lot. I'm going to link it. It's this interview uh, with Into the Gloss. 
and she's honest about her body. She's like, uh, yeah, I didn't work out <laughs> um, during her heyday of modeling. She's like, genetics played a role. I didn't start working out until I was in my late 30s. And that's when I got into fitness. And it became about me being strong. And she was like, I didn't like that. I was tired walking up three flights of stairs. Um, and so you're just kind of like, oh, well, you were skinny mini, but you're you're tired walking up three flights of stairs? Because, girl, I'm tired walking up three flights of stairs. And she's like, I didn't want to be weak. I wanted to be strong. And um, I wanted to eat whatever I want because I like to eat. And she's like, I go as hard as I do working out because I want to eat what I want. And that is just so refreshing to hear because a lot of the time these girls are, and men, they're like, oh yeah, I eat, um, you know, I, I eat this like super strict diet and I barely work out or uh, they are just not sincere in the fact that um, they have to work really hard for their body and that it, it does require work. And some people it is just genetics, but it she's very, very honest that like I have this body at the age that I do because I work hard from it and I want to eat what I want to eat. Um and I, I just thought that was refreshing to read a model saying that. Uh, and then she also in that same interview, one thing that I thought was so like how she opened up the interview. And so she's, you know, in her 50s and we love nothing more in society than to be like, oh, my God, she's so beautiful for 40. When did 40 mean dead? When did 50 mean dead? Like, she's just beautiful. Like, not for being 50. She's just beautiful. And um, the interviewer, you know, asked her, like, so what's your thoughts on aging? Because that's what you can only ask a woman that's in her 50s. And she's, like, so beyond over that question. And she was like, that is such a boring question. The aging question is so boring. When will we ask men about aging? What do men do about aging? What is it that you're doing? What's your secret about aging? And I was just like, oh my God, this girl, this woman is so incredible because like, yeah, it is so boring to ask somebody like, oh my God, you're, you you look so good for your age. Like it's really not a compliment because we're not dead. Um, again, Jane Fonda, she is 82 years old and she doesn't look good. Cause she's eight. Like you don't look good for being 82. Like you're Jane Fonda, you're 82 and you look good. Um, so can we just like stop treating women like they expire because, uh, you know, I always think back to, um, I'm pretty sure it was Chelsea Handler who said this. And she was talking about the same thing about aging and about being on a magazine. And she's like, why is it that when men are on the front of the magazine, you can see every single pore of theirs. But a woman is photoshopped to Helen back and they're 
skin is softer than a baby's butt. And it's so true. Like you see men and like they're, they, they just don't have the expectations that women do. And they're treated like, you know, a fine wine when they age and women, we hit 30 and it's like, okay, I guess it's downhill from here. And then God forbid we hit 40. We're grandmothers at that point. So for Helena to just call bullshit on that interviewer and just be like, this is so boring. Like, why are you asking me this? Ask me of something that's interesting. And she wasn't mean about it because at the end of the interview, like the interviewer basically was like, you're right. Like we do need to be moving away from it. It is a boring question. Um, and I just, she, I was by the end of everything I learned about her, I was like, I just want to sit down with her. And I think that's going to be what's going to happen every time I learn about these women is I'm going to be like, I want to sit down with you. And I want to talk about motherhood, about womanhood, about what it's like to be a working woman, what it was like to be a 90 supermodel. And with Helena, I want to say, would you mind if me and my family um, came to Denmark and maybe hung out in like a separate building than your home? Uh, while we find jobs. Can you do that? Can you sponsor a work visa for us, please? Um, I will make all the all the other Danish people proud. Uh, can you do that? That's what I want to talk about Helen, to Helena about. How do I immigrate to um, Denmark and tell me about what it was like to be told that you have the most perfect body by Gianni Versace. Those are the things I want to talk about. And I want to talk about her travels to like, she in her uh, work with the United Nations, she's like gone to Rwanda a whole bunch and photographed there and Sudan. Like she's gone all over on these crazy intense places documenting horrific things that are happening to refugees and she really walks the walk and talks the talk so I was just so thrilled to learn about her and I hope that you were excited to learn about her and you learned a few things and maybe you're inspired and maybe you're thinking that you want to do a second career but you're too scared and this story about Helena pivoting and becoming a photographer maybe that will inspire you Maybe you want to be, um, maybe you want to be a photographer or maybe you want to be a graphic designer because, you know, graphic design's my passion. <laughs> Do you know that meme? Do you understand what I'm saying? Or is that like not a well-known meme? I love that meme. Graphic design's my passion. Okay. I sound like Looney Tunes. I need to wrap this up. Thank you so much for sitting here while I clucked about the great Helena Christensen I had so much fun learning about her and I really hope you enjoyed it while you were doing your makeup, drinking your coffee, driving to work. It has been such an amazing experience and thank you so much for everybody and their support. Um, I am forever grateful and thankful that I have this many people who just like to listen to me and all my friends who listen I love you and I thank you so much for the support 
All right. Bye.